Welcome back to the Hall Sports Podcast and today it's something a little bit different. So it's the first episode of the Football After Show and today I'm joined by Brad Cox and Joe who you would all know from Elite Football Show. Brad, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you mate. Hoping you are the same. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, how are you feeling after the game yesterday? Yeah, I've just about recovered mate. Just about come down at the moment. Every game feels just... So tense and nervous. Every game's like a cup final. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a game where there's not so much pressure on it, but I don't see where it's coming around the corner, to be honest. So just every weekend getting hyped. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been a crazy season. Look, I think one of the games that we'll start off with, probably from the Tuesday, the bigger game that we're all talking about a little bit, was in relation to Chelsea and Leicester. Because, look, they're two of the big teams that we've been kind of – that we spoke about at the start of the season – we saw both teams go through different periods. One, we all expected a lot from Chelsea early on. Um, and they started to get a kind of uptick in form. But that's kind of gone the other way in the last couple of weeks. So we've seen a lot of rumours over the last kind of day or so since that, since that game about Frank Lampard. Um, I'm going to start with you, Brad. Do you think the pressure on Lampard is justified with the way that Chelsea have played? Or were the expectations early on a bit too far-fetched for a team that brought in so many players to get everybody to kind of link together straight away? Yeah, well, I think you spot on towards the end of that statement there. Um, definitely think the expectations were too high for Frank Lampard and um, and Chelsea at the start of the season. You know, when you spend that amount of money, there's obviously going to be expectations and they will be high because of the amount of money. Um, but, you know, Manchester City spent lots of money when their takeover happened, and it took them two or three seasons to get it all gelled together. Uh, and I think that's what Chelsea are going through at the minute. I don't think I don't think Frank, Frank Lampard is technically or tactically there. Um, some will say the same about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But um, when you've spent that amount of money in one transfer window, I think you'd, be, you'd, you'd expect to be a little bit closer to the pack than they are. Uh, I mean, they're sitting in eighth at the minute, you know, 11 points behind league, league leaders Manchester United. So um, it's quite a gap already for, for Chelsea. And without Champions League football as well, that could be a could be a nail in the coffin for Frank Lampard. And whether it's justified after, you know, just the short amount of time he's been in the job, I'm not too sure. But, um, that, you know, Abramovich is historically known for sacking managers early on. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether he uh, dogs in one of his own. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because you talk to Chelsea fans and I think you get there's a broad kind of brush in what they talk about in terms of their club. Some they want to give Lampard time because he is that club legend. Others are very quick to want change. On this, because I think a lot of United fans even and even from other clubs are kind of jealous of the way Chelsea kind of went after it in the summer. And we spoke about this a lot, Joe. Going towards that, do you think that those expectations were just way too high so early on? Because I I know we spoke about it a lot that everybody was saying, oh, Chelsea can be title contenders. You turned on Sky Sports or BT Sports and that's all we heard. Do you think that those expectations were kind of reality that really we should have been talking about Chelsea that way or should have, or should we be saying kind of, the wait and see because when you look at it they finished on the same amount of points as United last season and they were being spoke about in two completely different ways to start the season yeah you know it's a difficult one isn't it because obviously I think when any club spends that amount of money these days you expect to return on it don't you and personally myself I mean I'm not a Chelsea fan but I have followed a few of their games this season I would expect more from what they've got to be honest I think Brad's right when he says about them being a little bit, ta well, Lampard being a bit ta tactically and technically naive. I think, you know, I, I think you look at that midfield that they put out against Leicester last night, you know, Mount, Kovacic and Havertz, it's just not strong enough for a Premier League game. And I think they're in a situation a little bit like United at the moment where they're wanting to play 4-3-3, but actually I think what they've got both at the back and in midfield, they'd, they'd be better played a 4-2-3-1 because I don't think their defence is good enough for them to play a 4-3-3 and I also don't think that that midfield's strong enough and physical enough to, to deal with that demand in the Premier League. So, 
I, I think I, I do think that the expectations were a little bit high, but I also feel like Lampard is underachieving with the players he's got. And I can't help but think that if a if a better manager came in, a more experienced manager, they'd probably be a bit more successful than what they are right now. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Just from one of the comments from somebody watching here, it was Jamie saying that would Rogers be an option? Personally, I I would say I think the rumors that you have with Thomas Tuchel from when he because he's obviously free now because of PSG bringing in Pochettino. I think that's going to the obvious one that we look at. Again, I still think it's going to they'll probably assess how the team feel and do some of these players that Chelsea have given big money to do they trust in the manager? Because once you lose the dressing room, that's really where you've kind of lost that chance to really be able to take charge of a, of a club. And look, I think a lot of Chelsea fans wouldn't want, I know from talking to a lot of them, they don't want Lampard to fail or they don't want to just say sack him because he's one of their club legends, but they're in a results-based business. And you look at the table now, and this is even just, we'll be talking about the game in just a minute, but you look at the table and they're already 11 points behind United. Now, in a season where teams are dropping points here and there, and there's been some teams that have played quite well and quite consistent and others not, 11 points is a big gap to try and pull back. We're halfway through the season now. And really, I think a lot of people have to ask, is it going to get any better? Now, when we look at the game yesterday, and I'll bring you in this, um, for Brad, what did you take out of the game in terms of Chelsea's performance? Because personally, I think when you looked at that game, Leicester were the ones that were dominating the per- basically the game. You saw the likes of Madison really be able to turn the tides in that game. You saw how good indeed he was. What did you make of Chelsea's performance, Brad? I think like they looked like they didn't believe in themselves. Uh, you know, when you go when you go one nil down after six minutes from that NDD goal, it, 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 you need that mentality to bring it back, which is what Manchester United have been doing this season. That if they go one nil down, they still they still manage to pick themselves up. And Chelsea looked like they didn't have that attitude or mentality within themselves to do it. And that comes with confidence, and it comes with form. You know, Manchester United on this incredible unbeaten away form. Um, that's that's the reason they've got the mentality that they do. They they do believe that they can turn it around, and obviously that does come from the manager himself, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, with you know the ninety nine story and the rest is history, all that good stuff. Um, but you know, with Chelsea, it looked like they were just lacking belief in themselves, and that is a tough, tough kind of thing for Lampard to deal with when his own players don't believe that they can turn a game around. Because then if he even if he believes, it doesn't matter because he's not the one playing. So the players need to have that belief in themselves and that's what they lacked. And they also lacked any real creative spark. And you said it yourself, they've got so many what you would call creative players in that side and they, they just looked they looked lost out there in Leicester. But like you said, Leicester, absolutely excellent. You can't take anything away from them uh, on some incredible form as well. Uh I mean, they they couldn't do it again, could they? I mean, that's, that's the question. You, you that's never a big know. question. Yeah, I think they could. Yeah, they're they're one team that you look at, and they've actually been when you look at the last couple of seasons, they've been quite consistent because I know they fell off dramatically after lockdown, but you looked at them before lockdown, and they were one of the teams that you're really kind of saying that they're one team that was actually trying to contend last year, even though Liverpool were so far ahead. Um. Watching the game, Joe, what were you impressed by by Leicester? Because, again, Chelsea are still a top team and they have top players. And Leicester were able to, especially in that first half, is to make Chelsea play the, the way that Leicester wanted them to play. And I don't think Chelsea had many answers for them, especially in the first half. I'll tell you what impresses me most about Leicester. It's the amount of creative players that Brendan seems to be able to get on the pitch in a game, but yet it doesn't sacrifice the sort of solidity to his team and the sort of setup to his team. So you look at the likes of Madison, Harvey Barnes, um, even Albrighton, Yuri Tielemans, they can all play in the same team. It's not like two out of them three have to play or whatever to, to sacrifice the balance. Because I think what it is with Leicester, and this is how they're different to like Chelsea 
and even Manchester United we'll talk about later, they've got better defenders. So like Wesley Fafana, I think it's been a revelation coming in. He's a fantastic young defender. I think he's going to go for big, big money in a couple of years' time. If he keeps performing the way he has, he's been so impressive. You've got Johnny Evans there, who's a seasoned centre-back. And then the two full-backs are doing a brilliant job as well, both defensively and going forward. So because they're so tight at the back and they're, you know, and they've got such a great structure about them. It allows them to put these creative players on the pitch. And, you know, when the ball goes into the, you know, when they're in transition or when they're in, in possession, Leicester, they've got so many players who can make a difference in the opposition's final third. You saw it yesterday with Madison, Harvey Barnes. I mean, he's he's a fantastic player, Harvey Barnes, for me, because he, he's got the ability to create, but also he's got the, he just runs his socks off for 90 minutes. You know, there's a nice blend there between creativity and also work rate with him. And even Jamie Vardy, to be fair, he's shown, I think since Rodgers has come in, that he can be involved more in the build-up play. And, you know, he's, he's, he's created goals as well as scoring goals this season. So the thing that impresses me the most about Leicester is just the amount of creative players they can get on the pitch, which means that they're a threat to score in every game. And one thing I'll just say on Brendan Rodgers quickly is that when you look at him as a coach... I feel like he improves players. He doesn't only improve teams, he improves players. I think Tielemann's become a better player. I think Madison's become a better player. I think, um, you know, obviously he's, he's changed Jamie Vardy's role, but it's been for the benefit of the team. Harvey Barnes has developed even more since he's come back to Leicester. So I think credit to them. And I think they are a real threat to go all the way this season if they can keep it going and not fall off the edge of the cliff like they did last season. Yeah, it's a big thing. You look at a lot of players that you've seen, as you say, have improved under Brendan Rodgers. The one thing that I think struck me when watching the game was basically how when Chelsea were the ones that were attacking, it was very tight and compact. You didn't see them using the spaces as much as they should have. I think really the only bit of kind of success that they had in that first half was probably when you had Pulisic going in behind and trying to be a bit more direct. But when you look at some of their average positioning, Pulisic was actually closer to the centre of the field than he was out on the left wing. And you didn't see a lot of chances being created. Most of it you saw in kind of the, even the first half, you saw hudson Doy had a pretty good um, go of it and you had Reese James playing well on the right. But they just looked like a team, attacking-wise, devoid of ideas. And they're... And then you look at Leicester, which were the polar opposite, that you had Madison. The one thing I really like about Madison is his actually it's his movement off the ball because that's what I look at for certain players because we mentioned it with United that Pogba and Bruno playing together, when one has the ball, it's that the movement off it that creates more space. And that's what Madison does. And Harvey Barnes does the same thing. You saw what Madison was doing quite a lot as he was going out wide which is trying to open up more spaces for the other creative players for Leicester. And it was one thing that was working and actually led to the corner, which is one of the reasons, and then they scored that first goal. It's the other reason when Madison got the ball and he hit the crossbar as well. It's, it's one of those that I think he's, because he was injured for quite a while, he, he was one of those players that went under the radar because I think it was what the start of last season, there was a lot of people wanting him to come to a big club like United or Chelsea or um, City, but then gets injured, isn't there for a while. You saw Leicester's form drop, and now you're starting to see a lot of these Leicester players really play well together. It's it's one of those things that they did the same thing against City. They made City play the way that they wanted to play, and they were able to do the same thing against Chelsea. The problem I have, and I don't know if you agree with this, Brad, or not, but I feel like both on and off the ball, defence and attack, I feel like Chelsea are just so unbalanced. They don't really know what they're doing attacking-wise. Early on the season, we saw defensively that they had their structure, but it wasn't working against Leicester. And then it looked like there was no plan B for what they would do after that. I also think it's a bit strange for Lampard to drop Zuma as well when uh, Rudiger came in. I think that disrupted that defence massively. Um, you know, when, when United were playing Chelsea in that absolutely terrible game, nil-nil draw at Old Trafford, <laughs> um, it was Zuma just shutting down everything. He never looked 
never looked like anyone was going to get past him. And the amount of key goals he scored from set pieces this season has been un- unbelievable for Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, they, when you say they don't look like they know what they're doing at the back, I think that's true because everyone knows their goalkeeper issues. And, and that, that still seems to be a reoccurring issue. I'm not sure if it's... It, you might have to start looking at a new goalkeeping coach rather than pulling in a new <laughs> goalkeeper for 40 mil. Probably be cheaper just to get a better goalkeeping coach considering how bad Kep has been. And uh, and now, you know, Mendy's not the keeper everyone thought he was, although he he just happened to have an incredible game at Old Trafford, didn't he? And he had a few key saves, which would, which would have turned that game on its head. So... Yeah, when you say they look disjointed, I think that's that's the best word for it um, for this Chelsea side. And even going forward, you know, I said it as soon as Werner came to the Premier League. I said he's not he's not cut out for it because I watched him during lockdown for the UK when only Bundesliga was on, and he, it takes him about eight chances to actually score. And in the Premier League, you don't get those eight chances. In the Bundesliga, you do. Um, so I think that I said that from the beginning and for Werner to become a success. You know, he's kind of going through a Diego Forlan span uh, spell at the minute. Um, and some would argue a Radamel Falcao spell that never ended for, for him at United. So, you know, but for the amount of money they did pay for him, I would I will expect him to come good for Chelsea. And if, if he can start firing and if that any of if any of those attacking players for Chelsea can start firing, they were within a shout of being another dangerous team in the Prem. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of goes to what a lot of people were thinking at the start because we saw these big names come in and the amount of money that Chelsea were spending. And there's a lot of people that suddenly think that when you spend big money that all these players are going to fit. When we see it all the time, when we look at transfer windows, normally there's about a 50% success rate. That Half the players you bring in are successful and they're into your team. And for me, I would say a success is you keeping that player that's playing in the first team for more than say four or five years because really the lifespan of some of these players that come in for staying in the starting team is 10 it's getting lower and lower every single year and the i don't know what the reason is in relation to it but it was obvious that when a team had to bring in that amount of players joe that it wasn't all just gonna fit straight away and people needed to give them time the fact that I think a lot of people said Chelsea should be fighting for the title really put them kind of at a disadvantage with their own fans because yeah. I think it kind of worked in for other teams. So the fact that United didn't sign the players they were expected to sign and therefore the fans' expectations actually lowered a bit. If we had brought in a player like Jaden Sancho, and we lost those first couple of games like we did, the fury that would have been amongst the fan base would have been intense, and it was already intense. It's yeah. hard to imagine kind of if United had a similar summer to Chelsea and then come to this point and be 11 points off the top. It's very hard for a club to stick with a manager nowadays that when they're expecting, they spent all this money and you're really doing worse than you did last season. Yeah, it, look, like I said earlier in the show, mate, when you spend money, it comes expectation at the end of the day. And look, there's been a couple of times this season we, we thought Ollie would be leaving anyway. And, and obviously he's he saved his job. You do wonder if he had spent all that money and got similar results, which was would have been more than likely because it wouldn't have changed the fact that we didn't have a pre-season. It wouldn't have changed the performances of some of these teams really that we played against. You know, it makes you wonder whether Ollie would still be in a job. One thing I will say about Chelsea and where I do sympathise a little bit, especially with these new players, is is that we do have to appreciate that they're, they've come into a league in a season that is unprecedented, really, is that, you know, the COVID, you know, these are quite young lads, Werner, Havertz, they're both quite young players. It must be strange for them coming over to England and settling in, not being able to do what, you know, younger players would would normally like to do when they come over to a new country. They can't really integrate into society. They can't go out. They can't explore, like, the local culture and things like that. So it is really difficult for them. You wonder whether they've had opportunities to go back home much as well, which I think a lot of players tend to do when they first come over to a new league. They like to go back home a couple of times and 
see family. Obviously, that might have been restricted with the with the current restrictions. So it's really tricky. I will say that for them, and that's a little bit of an excuse I can give them. But you would want more from the money that, that you spent on them. What I will say is, though, is I'll go back to what I said earlier, that I do still think, though, another manager will get something more out of these players, to be honest. I mean, you're looking today, the talk is that if they sat Lampard, it will be someone like Tuchel or Nagelsmann, I think, are the two favourites to come in. But we know Nagelsmann knows Werner really well, don't we? We know he'll have a good understanding of, obviously, Havertz as well, playing in the Bundesliga. So you can't help but think that if someone like Nagelsmann come in, he would probably do a better job with these players. But look, it, there's no quick fix because this, like I said, this is an unprecedented season and it's very difficult like to keep a consistent team as well. That's the other problem because the game's coming so thick and fast, you have to rotate. I mean, I think Brad's spot on. The Zuma one's taken me by surprise. I mean, he was left out against Fulham, I think, which is understandable, one game. But then to be left out against Leicester as well, I thought he was left out of Fulham with with the idea of he was getting a rest before the Leicester game. But then for him not to play again against Leicester was a strange one. So, um, you know, rotation is another thing. Managers are having to be clever with that. It is difficult, but I still think they should be doing more. They should be doing better, Chelsea, no doubt about it. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's a difficult one and it kind of happens all the time when, like you said, Brad, early on with when cities were bringing all the players in when they first got the money, it took them a bit of time as well. And a lot of people were expecting them to hit the heights really quick. But it wasn't until the likes of David Silva, Aguero and came in that we actually saw those differences. So I guess that brings me to kind of the next point is that we look at the two teams that have probably been on the best run of form in the Premier League, and it's the two Manchester clubs. So in terms of, we'll, we'll go through the United game first, because again, there was, there's a lot to pick out there. How did you rate their performance yesterday against Fulham? Because you look at the game on paper and you're like, okay, it's United who are basically top of the table. Fulham, who are in a relegation battle. How do you think the team played yesterday? Well, I think they actually played down to the standard of Fulham. Um, you know, you saw on the weekend when they played Liverpool, they raised their game. They looked good. They looked confident on the ball and arguably should have won, should have beaten Liverpool at Anfield. Uh, you know, they had great chances and they probably had the had the better chances of the two teams to beat Liverpool and end that incredible run that, that Liverpool have had at Anfield. What is it, four years, five years for not losing at home, something like that. Um, but yeah, I think they started off slow and I think they played down to Fulham's level. They expected it to be an easy, easy ride. And that's that's never the case in the Premier League. You never get an easy, easy fixture. Um, but, you know, I think in a good way, they conceded in the sixth minute. If that was the 60th minute, it would have been a lot harder to mentally turn it around. Because, you know, you go 1-0 down six minutes, all right, you've got 80 left to change it around, which is exactly what they did. So uh, it, on that point, I think they got a little bit lucky they conceded early to wake them up and really shift things about. But And also got a little bit of luck with Ariola spilling the ball. Um, you know, often he's been at times very reliable for Fulham this season. Um, so they got stroke, stroke a look there. But, you know, the, the, man, the man of the moment, Paul Pogba, just taking the game to the opposition, which is something I've wanted to see him do for both France and Manchester United. And and he did it. He did it for France in the World Cup. We all saw what he could do for France. We saw him taking those, you know, the, I, like, I like to call them those Yaya Torre runs, picking the ball up just in front of his in front of his back four and driving at players and taking players on and taking the game to the opposition. And that's exactly what he did. And you know, picking the ball out of the sky the way he did last night on a windy night as well. Like, that was no, that is no easy task to bring that ball down. And not only to do that, but then knock it onto your left foot and just smash it home. I mean, that is world-class play from Paul Pogba. Uh, but as for the performance, I think towards the end, it was comfortable, although Fulham did give them issues. And, and that's what Burnley did towards the end, you know, just, just over a week ago. That's exactly how Burnley played. The, some long balls up top, uh, link-up play. And I think I think it's good that United are now getting two partnerships going at the back. They've got Maguire and Lindelof, obviously. They, those two know how to play with each other. But Baye's now 
getting used to playing with Maguire as well. So it's good that you can chop and change um, against against different attacks. That's, that's always how it should be. Um, and I think if Bailly can stay injury-free, injury, injury free, then United won't need to enter the market for a centre-back because they, they're already looking for for the next Bailly anyway with his pace and, and his reading of the game. So if Bailly can stay fit, then I think I think they're in for, in for a good second half of the season. Yeah, that's a, that's a big point there, Joe, because we've been talking about it for a while, and I know there was a lot of people that had this debate when the team sheet went out for Liverpool, and then the same thing for the Fulham game is what centre-back partnership actually works in the system that United want to play? Because the one thing that I found is when you've looked at both the Fulham game and you look at the Liverpool game and what teams are trying to do is they're actually trying to put the pressure on the two players that are playing in the double pivot and force basically what Liverpool did is they used their forward, their three forwards, and they made them narrow to make it go out to Shaw and Wan-Bissaka to try and progress the ball. Now, now Maguire is good at doing it, but we haven't seen Lindelof and we haven't seen Bailly be confident to come out there. How do you think, or really what centre-back partnership do you want to see? Because I know there's some people that said Lindelof was brilliant against Liverpool. There was others that said they want to see Bailly play. We know by now Solskjaer is not going to rest Harry Maguire if if he's fit. So what do you want to see going forward towards the end of the season? I want to see a combination that we've been playing, but with better players, Kieran. So I like I like the idea of having someone like a Maguire, a physical, tall, demanding uh, centre back. You know, physically. There, but I would like that per, that defender to be, you know, partnered by somebody quick and agile like like Baye, you know. But I mean, obviously, Brad said there about if if Baye does well and he stays fit, then we probably don't need another centre back because obviously Baye does that for us. But that's the issue: can he stay fit and can he can he put a consistent run of games together? But I think if United do look to sign another centre back in the coming windows, I think. That's where they need to look. They need a strong, sort of pacey, athletic centre back because what that means then is that when Maguire doesn't play, Lindelof is almost like Maguire's replacement, if you know what I mean. And then you've got a Baye or whoever the transferred player is to come in alongside and and be that partner for that player in that game. So, yeah. But in in terms of progressing the ball through the defenders, though, I think United just need to have better players out wide for that as well, Kieran. I think. The full-backs need to be better. Well, I mean, Luke Shaw's been doing pretty well there, I think. But obviously, we've talked about Wan-Bissaka's deficiencies going forward. So I think, and obviously, the lack of a right winger as well makes it even more difficult for Wan-Bissaka. But the other issue is, is when teams do that, when they press that double pivot, they also force Bruno wide as well. And Bruno's not as influential, I don't think, when he's in those wide positions. That's another issue for United, I think. We saw it against Man City, both in the league and in the League Cup game, where Man City just kept narrowing the pitch so that we went wide. And the only spaces that Bruno had were in the wide areas. And City weren't as concerned about his creativity from the wide areas as they were from the centre of the pitch. So I think, yeah, I think a a player that, not necessarily a ball-playing centre-back, but a defender that has got the pace and agility to bring the ball forward We've always talked about Alan McKeon. Upa Meccano is the best example I can give of a defender out there that can do all the things that I think I'd, I want a defender to do that's played along, alongside Maguire. But if these players aren't available, then Bailly's going to be key because, you know, he's he's going to need to stay fit. Because the problem is when Bailly doesn't play, we don't, you could say Axel could do that, but we don't see enough of Axel. We haven't seen enough for it to suggest that he could do it for a whole season in our first team. So it's a tricky one, but I slightly disagree with Brad. I still think we do need a centre-back just because I can't trust uh, Bayes' injury record. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because you look at that and I've just been looking at how teams are trying to kind of battle United and what to force them to do. And it's just that one part of where they are trying to put that pressure. They're trying to make United have to go wide to progress the ball at the pitch. Now, when it, when Matic plays, it works because you see him slot back into a, kind of a back three and they 
they can bring it wide to Shaw and Wambasaka, and it's a little bit easier. Shaw has actually improved on that element of actually progressing the ball, but Wambasaka hasn't. Wambasaka, you saw even just in the game yesterday that he's taking two or three touches to get the ball under control when really you need that one touch and go. And I think that's where we're seeing the improvements from Luke Shaw, and it's the reason why I think he's gotten a lot of praise. But also what teams are doing is they're trying to force United to actually play into one of their weaknesses. And Fulham did it quite well. They did it a little bit different than Liverpool. Because Liverpool did that with their front three, but they pressed they pressed in the United half. Fulham didn't do that. They just had they had their front three pressing Pogba and pressing Fred and forcing them to kind of go wide. But then the the issue was that Fulham, when they scored their goal, they just went deep. And that brought United onto them. And then look, United's first goal, bit of luck there with Ariola making the mistake. But this kind of brings me to the next point and with Cavani. I heard somebody else saying this yesterday. Um, I don't think Martial, Rashford or Greenwood scored that goal because it's the goal that I think Solskjaer has always spoken about since he's come in is he wants Rashford and he wants Martial scoring those dirty goals. Now, Cavani is a striker that he knows where he needs to be. For me, it's also been one of the criticisms of Greenwood when he's been played as a striker is he's not getting into the box enough. Do you think it's time now that you can basically say Cavani should be actually starting for Man United and he shouldn't be one of these players that you bring on after 60 or 70 minutes? People say his age and that he shouldn't play as much, but at the same time, I know I think it was on BT Sport yesterday that they said He's pretty much the same age as Jamie Vardy, and Jamie Vardy's playing every game for Leicester. So, Brad, do you think it's the it's a time now that we should see Cavani as really the starting striker for Manchester United? Yeah, I think he's got to. Um, and I was in Solskjaer's press conference the other week when someone asked about Cavani, is he just going to be a super sub? And he said uh, it would be disrespectful to call Cavani a substitute because of his quality, his world-class quality. And his, and his history in the game as well. You've got to remember this guy's won so many different trophies in different countries. And he's also come up clutch in many different um, leagues and, and big games as well. You know, he's just got that knack for scoring. He's in the right place, right time. And, and as we've seen, he often puts them away. And that's what you need in, in a team, you know. And also, one thing I'd like to point out is that United have got three attackers, you'd say, that are contending for starting lineups at the minute. Cavani. Rashford and Martial. In 1999, you had four. You know, you had Solskjaer, Sheringham, York and Cole. So I think I think United have got to bring in another striker at some point or a right winger. Obviously, that is the big talking point and has been for eight to ten months because when Martial's out on the right, he's just not the same. And when Marcus Rashford's out on the right, he's not the same at all. Um, you know, we saw against Burnley, Rashford struggled down the right-hand side and he ended up kind of redeeming his poor performance against Burnley with a with a beautiful cross for Pogba. Um, but I think that's one of the one of the highlights that I would point out is that Cavani needs to start because, like you said, Rashford and Martial don't score those goals. I, I, I can firmly say that they will not score those goals and they'll continue to not score those goals. They're not built for that. Their, their, their physical presence isn't built for that. Cavani is mentally strong and, uh, and physically bigger than the two of them. And, he, you know, he bullies players in the box. And United haven't had that since Lukaku. And maybe Solskjaer let Lukaku go a little bit early. I mean, you know, no one really... You, you can't really go back that far and, and make that make that judgment. But, you know, I think if, you know, if, if Lukaku was in that position, he'd score as well. So I think what they found in Cavani that they didn't find in Lukaku was that cutting edge and a bit more fitness that's that's the only difference i'd say yeah that's that's really interesting joe because we've spoken about it a lot and what united should do with that kind of front three that they want to play because look we've said for a while it's unbalanced that you have martial and rashford that aren't really strikers want to be strikers and both are probably more suited to the left wing you don't really have anybody on the right wing and the problem with that is you're actually seeing a lack of development by Wan-Bissaka because he's out there by himself. You look at 
for Shaw and everyone said, oh, he's improved. But at the same time, he's always having someone like Martial or Rashford on the same wing. So it's hard to it's hard to judge. And when we look at Cavani, yesterday, I, th- I thought he was excellent. Him and Pogba were the two that I looked at yesterday. And they basically took the game and they kind of brought the team forward because there was a lot of poor performances yesterday that people don't really want to mention. The one thing I like about Cavani is his runs. He's never stops running, gets in behind. And there's a difference between that and what we see with Marcus Rashford. With Rashford, I feel like he every single time he runs that he's expecting the ball to be there and that the team always try and make that pass. Hence, you always see him offside. Cavani is running to create the space. And it basically makes the defender second guess what you're doing. Like Rio Ferdinand was mentioning yesterday on BT Sport that Cavani's the type of player you don't want to play against. For me, the closest person in terms of his runs that we've had at the strikers probably Carlos Tevez. And for me, I think it's a bit of a breath of fresh air that we actually have someone who's playing as a striker that should play as a striker because, like like Brad said, really the only one in recent years that you can say was a central striker was Lukaku. He had a great first season, but then uh, for some reason fans just turn against players and people were sick of Lukaku's first touch we got which got overblown he played in a team that wasn't playing well and we're seeing now how he's played quite well at Inter so do you think like like we were saying there with Brad that Lukaku or that um, Cavani should be that striker that should be playing if not every game but all the big games yeah, I think the reason like, why it's such a top-class centre-back like Rio would say that, Kieran, is because Cavani keeps you on your toes as a centre-back for 90 minutes, you know. He, he preoccupies the centre-back, so you can't switch off. If you think about it, when, when United play Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, a lot of the time they want to drift wide, so that, that central area can be quite vacated. So centre-backs during the game feel like they get a bit of free time, a bit of time off. But with Cavani, he's always there on them. He's either got his back up against them. He's either looking to run off their shoulder like he did for the Southampton goals. Um, he's he's looking to be on any sort of mix-up in the box like he was last night against Fulham. And the other big difference between Cavani and, and the other strikers at the club for me is that Cavani plays football to score goals. I think he wants to score. I mean, he's got four... Uh, what's, what's the record? He's 400 goals or something or... It's, re- it's so ridiculous, like yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's somebody who lives to score goals. Whereas I do think with some of the strikers in our team, they probably take more pleasure out of making goals and dribbling rather than they do scoring. I've often said that Rashford lacks that real killer killer instinct as a striker to be United's main striker. You know, but when when he gets in on goal, I always feel like he's looking to set someone up rather than score himself. He's not he's not selfish enough. I think they once did a good thing on BT Sport where they compared Rashford and Mbappe, didn't they? And said, what is the real difference here? And the real difference is when you watch Mbappe, when he's in on goal, he's got no other thought than to score the goal. He wants to score a goal. Whereas Rashford, I think, is more of a team player, which is good in some situations. But, you know, if he's got designs of being United's leading man for years to come, he's going to have to get a lot more selfish in front of goal. And the same with Martial as well. They've got to find that predatory instinct. And sometimes that's hard to do because it's either in you or it isn't. And I think it's a hard thing to teach. You know, Solskjaer's been here a couple of years now and I wouldn't say that we've seen an improvement in that side of Rashford or Martial's game to be fair. He's always said he wants them to score their ugly goals. But in the two years that he's been here, I think we could probably count on one hand how many of them type of goals both of them have scored. I can think of Martial recently against Aston Villa. He scored a... He put his head where it hurt, didn't he, for that header against Villa. Yeah. You could say that was a typical sort of number nine's goal. I think there was a header at Chelsea, Stamford Bridge last season where he did something similar as well, sort of glanced it on at the near post. But they, for me, that predatory instinct, you've either got it or you haven't. There's some players out there that have. Ronaldo's one, obviously. Cavani, Zlatan's the same. When they get in positions to score... They've got no other thought in their mind than to go for goal. And I think that that's why Cavani works so well in this team because 
if you don't play Cavani, we don't really have another striker like that apart from Mason Greenwood. And then you're getting into the situation of saying, well, you've got to play Mason more centrally. And then that's a debate probably for another day, for another show. But uh, at the moment, there's no sign of that. So I think that's that's why Cavani's working well in this team because he, he gives us something that we haven't got in sort of in, in the mentality of the striker. Yeah, it's a, it's a great kind of point there because we do talk about this idea of how far have United developed under Ali and look we see that you know at our top of the league but then you look at that particular point and we just mentioned the fact that Rodgers has improved a lot of Leicester's players and we're still asking some of the same questions out of Rashford and Martial that we were asking two years ago when Ali first came in it's for me it's a problem because at the end of the day, you need that striker that you know is going to score 20 to 30 goals a season. You look at City, and most of the time when you look at them over the past five or six years, if you look at the goal scored, you're probably looking at Aguero at the top of that. You look at Tottenham, you've Kane. You look at any of the past United teams, and we can go through a multitude of strikers. In terms of the performance levels of certain individuals that need to basically the top players at the club, do you think that there's been real progress under Oli over the last two years, Brad? Yeah, definitely. You can't say there's not been progress. I mean, you just need to look at the league table to see where they are and how much progress they've made. Um, I think what was the stat of being at this point in the stage of the season last year? I think they were something like 16 points off the top of the league, something like that. Um, and, you know, currently they're now sitting two points clear obviously city do have a game in hand but anything could happen in those game in hands um it's not no games easy in the prem um but for progress wise i think a big thing was something that solskjaer said last night was they were in the hotel um two nights ago before the fulham game um and it was the 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 unity and the squad they were you know not not singing and dancing for fun but just getting on with each other and uh i think that's that's key for any team is to enjoy playing with each other and we, we've seen it with paul pogba's performances when he's smiling when he's having a good time when ollie says he's enjoying his football he's 10 times the player and that that's the biggest progress Solskjaer's made is bringing a team that's been so used to defeat over the past six to seven years and so used to letting goals slip in towards the end um that's what he's brought. He's brought a new sense of concentration and it's really paying off. Yeah, that's a big thing, Joan. We we mentioned it before the show today that I think that where the biggest progress has come in is he's teaching some of these players how to win because we mention it all the time. There's a lot of those players that haven't won that much in their professional career at, or even just at Manchester United. And even though it hasn't resulted in silverware we're starting to see some of these performances where in past seasons united probably don't win we look at burnley when we won one nil you look at the game yesterday against fulham in previous seasons if united conceded early against a team that you knew were then going to sit back and defend that there's a lot of people that don't have the that aren't convinced that united can go and win the game we're starting to see the team do that and hence we're seeing them be at the top of the league rather than be those 11 or 12 points back where the likes of Chelsea are at the moment. There's not a huge difference in terms of when you look at the names of the players, but maybe it's that mentality that Solskjaer is trying to enforce into his team, the same mentality that he probably saw Alex Ferguson put into his players as he came in as a young player. Yeah, it's it's not just the games that we've come back and won, Kieran, and, and the tie games that we've won. It's the amount of late goals we've scored as well. I think I think we're top of the chart for goals after the 90th minute. I think we are top of the chart for goals in the last quarter of an hour. And, and that's all trademark of an Alex Ferguson team. That's what this United team was all about. I, even, I mean, I'm old enough to really remember the treble season vividly. And even that year, you know, as good as they were, they had to come back from a lot of losing situations that season. They had some really tight games 
in, in during the league and obviously culminated in the Champions League final, obviously, which was the latest of late comebacks. But, you know, it's what this team's being built on under Ferguson. And like you say, Solskjaer, he knows what it's all about. And also, you look at substitutions, Kieran. I look at substitutions now. I I feel like they're in a better position to affect the game because Ollie was a very good substitute himself. And, you know, he used to study the game while he was a substitute. And I'm sure he's putting that into the player's mind now when they're not play, when they're not starting games. It doesn't mean they can switch off. They need to be ready to come on and affect the game. And we've seen that as well. We've seen him make substitutes and it changed change the game. And we were just talking about strikers there and whether they've progressed. I, I think one thing that they have progressed in on the whole is I think they're better finishers now. I think, you know, you, you see Rashford's finishing chances better. The, my argument with the strikers is they need to be in the positions to finish more, if you know what I mean. Once they're getting in those positions, I think they are better, but we shouldn't be surprised at that because Ollie's one of the best finishers we've had at the club in my lifetime. So it was no surprise that finishing would improve when Ollie came in. That goes for everybody. But uh, yeah, I think mentality-wise, I think we've seen a lot of games this season that we would have lost, Kieran, like a year ago, two years ago. The Wolves game, where when we scored in the 90th minute, that would have been nil-nil like every other Wolves game that seems to have played in the last couple of years. And, you know, Burnley, you know, they would have they would have bullied us into a goal. They would have scored at least one goal at Turf Moor, but we weren't to be bullied and, and we imposed our game on them. So, again, that's another game where we'd have won. And I think me and Brad were talking just before the show about the Fulham game, even last night. We would have caved in in that little bit of late pressure there the last 10 minutes. But they didn't. They stood firm. Baye once again getting in the way of a header, like he got in the way of a block against Aston Villa, I think it was a few weeks ago on New Year's Day. So, And they're just showing that sort of fighting spirit and togetherness that you need at this stage of the season, Kieran. Because I think in January, it's not always about winning games pretty. If you look back at previous winning United teams, they never won games pretty in January. Christmas and January time was all about getting the ugly wins. And then you sort of... Europe comes back and you get a bit more of a rhythm in your play. You play against different types of opponents and all of a sudden you're flying again and then you go on and kick on to the end of the season. And I think that's what this team will do. I think they're going through a bit of a dip now in terms of performances, but the beauty of it is they're still getting results while they're in that dip. And I think they'll only improve as we come towards the second half of the season. Yeah, that's a it's a really good point that the one thing that I think we've started to see over the past couple of weeks, and I think it's probably because United have come up towards the top of the table, that you're actually seeing that team, like after the game against Villa, when they got through that, or even the game against Burnley, when, when they wanted to put them top of the table, you saw how much it meant to the team to get over that hump. And it's one of those things that I think actually is the difference between when we spoke about Chelsea earlier and United now is that one team is actually playing together as a team and one isn't. One isn't quite sure what they're doing. And that's the big that's the biggest point I think I can take away in terms of the progress under it. We went through a terrible time in that last season under Mourinho. And the fact that only two and a half years later that Ollie has been able to turn that around and you look at how happy the team actually looks. It's a, it's a testament to any manager, especially when he's had to deal with outside noise where there's any time United have some sort of negative result, every single person in the press is saying, should he get sacked? Well, you don't see that for, for other managers. It is a big issue. I, I guess the last thing that I want to kind of touch on just about United is in relation to that, and we talk about a lot, that kind of double pivot where we see... A lot of the big games, you see McTominay and Fred. Yesterday, we saw Pogba and Fred. Now, even though one of the things that was interesting was that Pogba's kind of, when you look at the map of where he was actually playing, it was quite deep. But the biggest issue, I think, was when he came further forward, that Fred was very isolated. Now, Fred works in that double pivot because he's actually a very good midfielder to press the opposition. And he puts them under pressure. For me, the biggest problem is he's not a great one-on-one defender. So then when he gets isolated, he may not be that kind of player you want there. But 
by himself. Matic can do it. He's a very good one-on-one defender. Sometimes you can see that for McTominay, and that's why McTominay and Fred work, that McTominay can stay back more. Fred is the one that presses further forward and puts pressure in the opposing midfield. So looking at what Pogba kind of gave us yesterday in that double pivot, and I know they were talking about this on BT Sports last night, and they were saying kind of they're trying to put Rio Ferdinand under pressure that would he play Paul Pogba if, let's say, it was the last game of the season and you're playing against Liverpool and winner of that game wins the title. Do you trust Pogba to play in that double pivot with just either Fred or McTominay beside him? What would you think about that, Brad? I, th- I think you've got to put your best players out on the pitch and in the current form that he is in, Paul Pogba is the best player on that pitch, you know, behind Bruno Fernandes, of course. Um, I think you've always got to play your best players. You, and you can assign a different role to Paul Pogba in that sort of situation. You could uh, go back to his holding midfield days because even though he prefers to be going forward, he's still in a really good number six, you know, your traditional number six player, you know, winning the ball, pinging it out wide. And lots of his assists have come from playing number six. Gets a little bit more space on the ball and he can look for those balls over the top of the back four for the likes of Rashford, Cavani, Martial to run onto in in space. So, um, yeah, I I think Pogba would make that team because you've just got to play the best players in that situation. Would you want to play him in that kind of role or did you like when, I know there was the two games, one game where he played kind of on the left wing but really it was just to get that extra midfield player in and the same against liverpool when he played on the right would you prefer him in those positions or would you prefer him playing in that deeper role i thought he was wasted out on the right against liverpool um i i couldn't really see why solskjaer opted for that uh, and when he switched it in the second half, United looked like scoring. I mean, hey, shock, you play your players in the best positions and they start to look like they're scoring. Should have started from that, should have started from that position. Um, <clears throat> and when he's out on the left, he does a job. I wouldn't say it's his best position. I don't think you can stick him out on the left for, for six games in a row. I think he'll start to believe that if he's starting to be stuck out into onto the wide position just to get a game, that's not the attitude that Pogba is going to want to see from his manager. He's going to want to have that responsibility to take the game to the opposition. And I think that's a difficult situation for Solskjaer, especially with the midfield choices he's got. But, you know, United fans were screaming out for squad depth. Now they've got it and they can't decide what team they want. So typical. Yeah, exactly. Just to that point, Joe, we all kind of were screaming that we wanted more depth in the squad at, the end of last season where we saw pretty much the same 11 play for a good eight or nine games and by the end the players were were knackered and now there's a lot of people complaining that Donny doesn't play enough that why is Fred and McTominay playing what about Maddich what about Pogba what about Bruno this is probably the first time in a long time that you can't actually tell who's going to start in that midfield for United and it's actually a good thing look we all know that if you really want to complete a midfield, you kind of need a ball-winning defensive midfielder because Matic can do that, but as we've seen, he can't do it every single game because we can't play him every game. You're looking at players out there. I always compare the style of player that United are screaming out for is a Michael Essien, that he's that ball-winning player, but also he's not afraid to move up the pitch and actually progress the ball. So... Do you think that some fans are kind of they're overreacting a little bit much on who's playing week in and week out? Because Solskjaer is, even though it doesn't look like it, he actually is rotating the squad quite well. And it's it's one of those things that maybe I know a lot of people focus in on Bruno and Maguire because they play pretty much every game. But for the players around, like McTominay played what eight minutes yesterday. I could probably guarantee he's probably going to play on, on Sunday. So for me, I think Solskjaer's done quite a good job in squad rotation this season. 
Yeah, don't say that, Kieran. I don't really want to see McFred at Old Trafford. Really, <laughs> I want to, I want to try something a bit different. I want us to be a bit more adventurous. I feel like it could be a bit of a free hit for us. So why not try something, stumble across something that might work for the future? I don't know, but yeah, no, it, it is a good thing, Kieran, because you know, at the end of the day, you can't get predictable. We've seen a few times that United have got predictable with the team selection, and look where it's got them. In the end, we got too predictable against PSG. They worked us out and ultimately it cost us our place in the Champions League. I think we've seen over the last couple of games, City have got worked us out in terms of how we've tried to set up against them. They've, they've sort of nullified that now and, and they've decided that they won't get beaten that way anymore. I mean, obviously Solskjaer had a pretty good record against Pep and City since he come in, but I do feel the last couple of games, City have kind of worked it out now and it's it'll be up to United when they play them again to try and come up with something else, a different combination in midfield, maybe, like you say. But the other thing about the midfield as well is that I think this season especially, and especially since he's come into good form, Pub has shown that you can trust him in that double pivot now, Kieran. I think that the first half of the season, the question marks was, can you trust him there? You know, is he responsible enough? Is he, you know, is he combative enough? Does he is he good enough on the ball to play that position? And I think he's answered all three of those questions. I think he, you know, he's physically strong to play that position. He can hold his position and be responsible when he needs to do it. There has been a couple of examples this season already. And I don't think there's any doubt that the quality of his quality on the ball means that if he does play there and does it effectively, United can progress the ball better from there as well because the one thing that he has on all of them other midfielders is ball-playing ability. You know what I mean? Is is streets above Fred McTominay and, and probably even Matic in terms of his quality on the ball, especially passing the ball forward, which is what United need to do more from that double pivot position. So I think that's been another key to, and it's going to help Solskjaer because it means, because usually when you've seen Pogba on the team sheet, you think, well, you know where Pogba's going to play. He's going to play high up on the left or he's going to play left of a diamond because we don't trust him in the pivot. You know, he, he won't play pivot. United won't do that. But actually, I think since he's come into form, he's shown that he can do a job with that pivot now. It's more about who you put next to him. And I think that's obvious for me. If you play him in the pivot, it's either got to be Matic or Fred. I don't think McTominay works. So, and the stats sort of back that up, but... I think Fred can do a job next to him, which I think we saw, first of all, we saw against Sevilla in the Europa League semi-final uh, last year. I mean, they were fantastic at that game, United. The only thing they didn't do was finish their chances to win the game. They were the better team in the game. And then we saw again last night, you know, they were a double pivot. And although United weren't great, you know, it wasn't because of that double pivot. You know, there was a lot of other reasons why they weren't great. And I think it showed again that they can work. And, and we know that, Matic and Pogba works. I mean, that's the ideal combination. The only problem is, is that Matic at 30 yard, whatever he is now, he can't play every game. He can't, especially not every three days. So you can't have it always. I mean, that would be the ideal partnership, Matic and Pogba, because they have such a great understanding both on and off the pitch, but that's just how it is. But I think, again, that's an area that United will look to improve in the next six months. I can see them in the summer looking at that area, another... CDM coming in, which may either be someone who could play alongside Pogba or allow Pogba to play a bit further forward in maybe a midfield three rather than having to play a double pivot. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting conversation, and we can we can kind of dissect kind of United all all night. The one thing I want to kind of point out to is we mentioned it earlier briefly is while United are top, there's still Man City to have that game in hand, and they're starting to hit some good form. The defense has kind of really helped them kind of push forward now. Watching the game against Villa, though, it was it was actually a very good game up towards the end. Now, obviously, there was the big kind of contest with VAR and how Man City scored their opening goal. It's it's a tricky one. I know, like I was quickly before we came on, that I was reading through it. A story. I think it was one one of the former referees in the Premier League came out and said that they kind of got the goal through kind of a loophole in kind of the rules, and that's why it was allowed. Do you think when you were watching that game, Brad, is what was your reaction when you saw the goal? And then also the fact is 
what's your reaction to when you look at Man City and how they're playing now versus earlier on the season where they were dropping points? Well, I think Tyrone Mings kind of said it perfectly on Twitter. He didn't even know that was a rule. So when you've got professional players not even understanding the game, that's when you know you've got a loophole or a worry. Um, so, I mean, I was I was shocked it was a goal. I didn't really understand how it could be given as a goal. Um, but when you read the rules, it's a goal. But that's the loophole. The rules are wrong. Um, VAR is not wrong. The rules are wrong. We've said it a lot with handball. You know, VAR is simply there to to abide by a rule book, and that's what they did last night. And as for City, I still think they'll win this league comfortably. I still think they will um, start to really get their get their hands on it in the next two months. Um, game in hand to go one point above United. Like you said, they've sought United out. They know how they play. Um, and I think the biggest indicator for me that Manchester United aren't good enough this year was that Carabao Cup game, even though arguably multiple changes for both sides in that fixture. City's squad depth is still unbelievable, and that's without a striker. So God knows when Gabriel Jesus starts firing uh, or Aguero picks up his season for once. Uh, but he's just tested positive for COVID. Yeah. Hasn't he? So City are uh, lacking up top, but they're not lacking goals, which is a worry for everyone else in the Premier League. Uh, but no, like I said, I still expect them to run away with it. Yeah, it's a big worry when you see kind of how they're scoring as well. Because, yeah, you've had De Bruyne setting up a couple, but you're not seeing Sterling hit for a lot you're not seeing Mares. you're not seeing some of their top players who you'd normally expect to be kind of their top scorers coming into the season they're not the ones scoring the goals and it's just the defense has been rock solid and it just seems likely if if City can get that first goal it's it's very hard to break them down now when before even I think earlier on the season when it was the City and Leicester game even though City were very dominant early on Leicester knew that they could get at that defense been a little bit more difficult to do that now joe how worried are you as a united fan that let's say united are able to maintain how they're playing at the moment how worried would you be about the other team in manchester well if man united maintain the way they're playing kieran i, I wouldn't worry but that's the issue can united sustain this level and especially wins you know what i mean and in terms of keep winning, especially when you're not playing well, how long can you keep going doing that? How long, as the saying goes, how long can you keep going to the well? You know, how long can you keep struggling and still pulling out results? Because I look at City at the moment and they don't look like losing games. People will argue, well, you know, they've been 1 0 quite late on against a few teams at Etihad. It has took them a while to open scoring. But the difference with City now to when you look at them maybe over the last, since last season especially, is that you feel like a goal's coming now with them all the time. You know what I mean? Like last, there was points last season when you didn't think they were going to get back in games. You could just not, you didn't feel it. You didn't feel it. But there's something now where you just feel with City when you watch them. They're going to score here. I mean, people can talk about the offside goal and I'm like you guys. I don't get it. It's, it's a ridiculous law. But there was no question at the time City deserved to be in front I mean how they weren't in front at that point I weren't quite sure you know they were battering the door down they had plenty of chances quick shout out for Gundogan I think he's been a key player for them at the moment we all talk about Ruben Diaz and he has been brilliant to be fair he's sort of been this Vincent company replacement that they were well they spent 12 months looking for really it's been a whole season looking for and it's quite scary that they can set up the strongest team at the moment and it not have Laporte in it which is seems ridiculous I mean Laporte can't even get a game at the moment Bernardo Silva's only playing fleetingly and he's one of the best midfielders in the league for me so it, it's ridiculous really like Brad said their squad depth but Gundogan you know it's just he's I don't know he's added something to his game this year I don't want to say goals obviously because he has scored a few goals but it's more like the runs that he's making and the attacking positions that he's taking up are really clever and I think you always worry about City with that sort of ball down the channel get to the byline whip in the ball and the opposite winger comes in and scores you know a lot of their goals have come from their wide players over the last sort of three or four years but actually you know some of their midfielders now are making some real clever runs into the box, late runs. And I think Gundogan's trying to take up that sort of David Silva role, where, but he's obviously doing it from a deeper position where he's almost like 
a spare man. And it's unbelievable when you watch replays just how many times he's getting into the box absolutely unmarked. And it's exactly the sort of things that David Silva, David Silva was doing, but obviously he's doing it from a much deeper position. So it's quite fascinating, really, how Pep's worked that, how tactically he's done it. But it's a clever move, and I think it's added another string to their attack now because they're not so predictable going forward now. They've got different threats coming from different angles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, again, it's been, a, it's been a crazy kind of week. We've seen some of the top teams play quite well. We've seen one of the games that was the Leeds and Southampton game got the phones. Look, it's. I think this season's going to be one of those that's just going to be up and down. We're probably going to leave that there for this week. But again, we're going to be back next week as well because, again, we have midweek games after the FA Cup this weekend. So just to remind everybody, just to make sure you follow the podcast, you can see it's there on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And also just to subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, Joe. And thanks, Brad. No worries. Cheers, mate.